many of us are going to spend tonight and tomorrow exchanging gifts with friends and family. Some of the gifts are going to be extremely meaningful, with lots of thought put into them. Some of the gifts are merely going to be tokens that say, I thought of you and I care about you. There will, of course, be some gifts that demonstrate that the giver put absolutely no thought. And we wonder, what on earth were they thinking? Some of these gifts we'll receive with great joy and make them part of our lives and we'll take them with us and we'll use them for as long as we can. Other gifts we'll use up and they'll be forgotten. Some gifts will be hung up on the wall as decorations and memories for everyone to enjoy. Some gifts will be stored away in the attic and never used. But at this time of year, we can't help but think about gifts. We recognize that many people in our world today celebrate December 25th as the birthday of Jesus. And we recognize that many people misappropriate all the festivities that are going on at this time around us and believe that they honor and glorify God. In this fellowship, we understand that God never told us the day that Jesus was born. And because of that, we learn something about whether or not God wants us to celebrate Jesus' birthday. We also recognize that... It, there's nothing in the Scripture that indicates we can remotely worship and honor God by decorating a tree or stringing up lights or passing out gifts. However, on the other hand, most of us recognize that not doing those things to worship God doesn't mean we can't do them at all. And so most of us use this day, most of us here use this day in order to let each other know we love each other, to share the blessings that we have, to let each other know that we've appreciated the contact that we've had each other throughout the year. Now, I recognize we have some guests here today, and if you disagree with that, that's okay. We'd love to talk with you about it. We'd be happy to get together and study how we can worship God. But what I'd like for us to do a moment this morning, and since we've got our minds on gifts anyway, I want us to think about the greatest gift that was ever given. Probably all of us, if we were asked the question, think about in your life the greatest gift that anybody has ever given you, we could probably come up with a couple of things that, that would come up into that category. But there is one gift that was given throughout all of time that is the greatest gift that has ever been bestowed. And you all know exactly what I'm about to say. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. I would hope that we recognize that when we consider this greatest gift that was ever given, it's not a picture of a soft, cuddly, warm, fuzzy baby in a manger, but rather it's a picture of a mangled, bleeding, tormented man who is God in the flesh, hanging on the cross, bleeding, gasping for breath, and finally dying on that cross for our sins. Our sins didn't cost God a little cuddly baby in a manger. It cost Jesus torment and agony. And God gave us that gift. The real question is, what are we going to do with the gift God has given us? We do all sorts of things with gifts. And I'd like for us to think about those this morning and then consider what we're going to do with this greatest gift that has ever been given. Before we do that, would you bow with me, please? 
Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we praise your name. We're thankful that you have loved us, that you sent your Son as a gift for us to die so that our sins could be taken away because we need that so badly. We have sinned so greatly, fallen short of your glory. We've done and said things and thought things and been places that we shouldn't. We haven't done the things that you have commanded. And we're sorry that we've been such a disappointment to you. We're sorry that the response to that had to be your son's death. But we are so thankful that you were willing to pay that price. And we honor and glorify you and pray that each and every person here and everyone we come in contact with will accept that gift and make it a part of their life. Father, we pray that you would be with us, that we could consider all the options that we have before us and that we'll make the right choice to honor and glorify you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. What can we do with gifts? Well, we can reject it. The biggest shopping day of the year is the day after Thanksgiving. That's when most people do most of their Christmas shopping. The second biggest shopping day of the year is the day after Christmas. That's when 75% of the people take back what was bought for them on the day after Thanksgiving because they didn't like it or they wanted something else. I can think of one gift in particular. Marita had told me she wanted it over and over and over again. I had heard it again and again that she wanted this thing. And so finally I got it for her. I don't remember if it was Christmas or her birthday, but I was excited. If she had said she wanted it so much, I was certain that it was money in the bank. And so I went out and bought her the, the large George Foreman Gretsch. A couple days after Christmas or her birthday, whichever it was, she kind of comes up to me and sheepishly says, Edwin, do you, do you mind if I take the George Foreman girl back? Now, you know the answer to that question, considering the fact that I'm bringing it up years later. How could that happen? I mean, she had said on more than one occasion, I want the George Foreman grill. Well, I think the real thing that happened here is that by the time I finally got around to getting it for her, she decided it just wasn't useful anymore. And so she rejected it and took it back and bought something less meaningful. I don't even remember what it was. But when I think about the issue of rejecting the gifts, a lot of times when we reject gifts that are given to us, we mean that it just didn't fit. Which is, of course, why we're going to make our New Year's resolutions. But we've got to get a different size, something that fits me. Sometimes we mean, well, I like it, but I don't like the color. Uh, it just doesn't suit me. Sometimes we just mean, I just don't like it. I want something that I like. But typically when we boil down all those things about the gifts that we reject and that we take back, essentially what we're saying is there is just no use for this gift in my life. I need something that I want and I appreciate and I like and I can use. And the Bible demonstrates to us that there are some folks that are going to treat God's gift that way. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. The Bible says, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Basically, what Paul was saying is that, look, most of the Jews and most of the Gentiles are not going to have any use for the gift from God. God sent His Son to die on the cross, and to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. They just can't imagine why that would happen. How could God come in the flesh and then die on the cross? They don't have any use for that kind of suffering Savior. And the Gentiles just think it's foolishness. What? A dying God? A suffering God? That's crazy. We don't have any use for that. And so they would reject it. Sure, they want God in their lives, but they don't have any use for this God in their life. And they reject His gift. What will you do with God's gift? One of the other things that we do with gifts is procrastinate. This is specifically true today. You know, what is nowadays the number one gift purchased for people? Do you know what it is? Gift cards. You don't know exactly what you want to get them, but you know they like Barnes & Noble, or they like Starbucks, or they like Olive Garden, or maybe even Walmart. Just go get them a gift card, and now you can be the one who purchased the exact thing that they wanted. But are you aware that, at least until recently, most gift cards had a catch? Until consumers found out about this and started pitching a fit, most retailers put an expiration date on the cards. So that if you kept that card for too long without using it, they would start charging you a fee. Sometimes as much as a dollar a month coming off the card. If you didn't use it within a year, some of them were 24 months, they'd start charging you. And somebody who was hanging on to that gift card because they wanted to wait until they found just the exact one thing in all the world that they ever wanted and they wanted to make sure they had some money to pay for it, pulled that card out to buy it. Oh, we're sorry, there's no balance on this card anymore because they had procrastinated. They put it off. They couldn't understand how $25 suddenly became nothing three years later. Some people do that with a gift from God. They procrastinate. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 provides us a great promise. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Our God is patient. He has given us time. He gives us time because He wants us to repent. But folks, this doesn't mean we can try His patience. In Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, Jesus tells a parable. He says, A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in a fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. What the parable demonstrates to us is that God is patient. He will wait. In fact, He will go beyond what we need. Three years. He went beyond that. This thing should have been blooming. It should have been producing fruit. He thought, okay, I'll wait another year. But here's the thing that we need to understand. These years on this fig tree, they don't amount to years in our lives. We don't know where we are on this scale. Depending on all that God has done for us, for some people, those four years might equal 90 years of life. For some, it might equal 35. 
We don't know where we are. It could be the first year for us. It could be the second. It could be the third. Sadly, it could be the fourth. And so Jesus points out to us, don't procrastinate. What will you do with God's gift? A third thing that we do with it is put it on the hidden wall. Now, I've got to explain this one a little bit. It's kind of code word. When I was in college at Wichita, Kansas, I lived with an older couple, Bob and Jean. They've actually visited here with us. Sometime during that time, they ended up with this picture. I don't remember if this was Bob's gift to Gene or somebody's gift to Bob or if it was just Bob's gift to himself. As best I can remember, it was a picture of two caricatured cows kissing. Okay? Just picture that in your mind. And I'll admit that in its own way, this picture was funny in some weird, twisted sense. But it certainly was not something that most of us would want hanging in our house. Jean didn't want it hanging in her house, but Bob did. And so what was Jean to do? Well, Jean found the one place in the entire house where the fewest people would see it. In fact, the only way you will see it is if you're walking in the back door and looking straight ahead of you. You walk in and if you're looking to the right because you're looking at people, you're going to miss it. And so Bob got what he wanted. It's hung in the house. Jean got what she wanted. Almost nobody ever sees it. But you see, that's what some people do with Jesus and the gift that God has given them. They're going to take the gift, they think, but we're going to hide it. We don't want folks to see it. And so we'll go along with the world. We'll look like the world. We'll act like the world. We'll dress like the world. We'll talk like the world. We won't stand up regarding moral issues and regarding the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And we'll just kind of go along with people. And in fact, the only folks that will really ever know that Jesus is remotely a part of our lives, supposedly, are the folks that we go to church with occasionally. But Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. God's gift was not given to us to be hidden down inside, but to be displayed and to be declared, to be demonstrated, not as a show of, of overbearing, showy righteousness, but rather... It's just the means in which we live our lives. Folks ought to be able to look at us and say, there goes a Christian. There is somebody who's making a claim to godliness. They ought to be able to see that in the way we act, in the way we dress, in the way we speak. Let's not put Jesus on the hidden wall where only a few people will ever see him. What do you do with God's gift? In contrast to that, some people will just use it for show. Have you ever seen the movie The Christmas Story with little Ralphie who wanted the Red Ryder BB gun and everybody kept telling him, you'll shoot your eye out. Remember that? Now, I can only recommend you watch that if the language is edited out of it, okay? Uh, on TBS sometime when it's on. But that's, that's a funny movie, Little Ralphie. Before he got to get his Red Ryder BB gun, though, do you remember, I think it was his aunt, what she gave him? The pink bunny rabbit costume? 
And his mom made him go put it on. Now that's the kind of gift that you store away until the aunt comes to visit. And you pull it out because you want to make a good show saying, yes, oh, I loved your gift, aunt so-and-so. But as soon as she's gone, where's it going? Back in the box in the closet. And so you use the gift just for show. Sadly, there are a lot of folks that use the gift from God just for show. They'll wear the gift from God when they're here at church. And then they use it just to kind of try to impress people. It it reminds me of all those guys that, that you see businessmen and signs advertising that have the little fish on it or a cross. I had a friend of mine that once told me, he said, you know that you're about to get gypped if the guy hands you a business card and it's got a fish on it. Because, you know, if he really is a Christian that lives by that, he's not going to have to put a fish on his business card to show it away. To, excuse me, show it off. Reminds me of the used car salesman that I saw cussing and talking dirty with his friends, but we got into his office and there's a framed picture of John 3.16 on the wall and a Bible open on the desk. Using it just for show. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, the gift of God is not just for show. It's supposed to be the thing that our life is anchored on. It's the the foundation, the prime mover of everything that we do. It's not just something we put on in order to oppress a few people, impress a few people every time, every once in a while. We should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What will you do with God's gift? One more thing that we could do with it is just kind of half-heartedly accept it. Let me tell you about a change that occurred in my life about 12 years ago. About 12 years ago, I graduated college and decided to get married. And that was basically, my, my dad pulled me aside. We were out driving in the car and he said, Son, are you, you think you're man enough to get married? Oh, yeah, Dad. You think you're man enough to take care of a family? Oh, yes. Well, all right. I have one thing to say. What is it, Dad? Don't come back. Okay. And from that point on, I paid for my insurance, I paid for my gas, I paid for my car, and I paid for my clothes. Since that time, I have loved to receive clothes for Christmas and birthday. Hint, hint. But before that time, who wants clothes? I remember as a kid thinking that getting clothes for Christmas is just cheap. I mean, my parents have to buy me clothes anyway. Why do they have to ruin a perfectly good Christmas present by making it clothes? In their mind, it was a two-for-one deal. We can buy clothes and a Christmas present all at once. And so I just suffered along. And when you get that box, and kids, you all know the clothes box, don't you? You know exactly what it's like. You pick it up and you think, oh, clothes. And so you realize that what you're supposed to do is you put a smile on your face, you open it up, you hold the shirt up so that Dad can take a picture, and then you shove it to the side so you can find the cool stuff. Getting clothes are just kind of a ho-hum. I mean, I'm glad to get good clothes, but, but wow, 
You know, I'd rather have, of course, back then it was Atari. We didn't have Wii and PlayStation 3 and all that stuff. Or a cassette tape. Anyway, just something kind of half-heartedly accepted. You're glad to have it, but ready to get to something better. And sometimes that's the way people treat God's gift. We want just enough Jesus so that we can go to heaven, but not enough so that it'll crimp our style. And so, yes, we'll make it to the assembly on Sunday morning, but on Sunday night and Wednesday night, are you kidding me? I've got a life, you know. Or we'll make it to the assemblies and the classes, but don't even think about asking me to, to sacrifice a Monday night to help a widow or a Saturday to have a work day at the church building or a Friday night to have a Bible study. I've got too much going on in my life to deal with that. It's as if to say, listen, I get enough of that church stuff on Sunday. And we've got a whole lot of people. It's as if we want heaven and earth all at the same time. And we just can't have both half-heartedly accepting. Look in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, Jesus said to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I sat to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here was Laodicea. They half-heartedly accepted Jesus Christ. But Jesus said they would be judged. What will you do with the gift? Or the final thing, you can accept it and make it part of your life. Marita was a little worried about this sermon because I told her I was going to tell you the George Foreman grill story. She said, oh great, you're going to humiliate me in front of her. She's not feeling well this morning. She's not here. Ryan's also got a fever. But I didn't tell her about this part. I have to tell you that I think Marita has got to be one of the greatest gift givers in the world. She really is. She has given me some of the most spectacular gifts. Not long after we got married, she bought me these two fold-out map pictures of Middle Earth based on Lord of the Rings. Then, a couple years later, she snuck off and in successive years got them both framed. Now, you know where those things go, right? Those are on the wall for everybody to see, along with my shrine of other Lords of the Rings gifts that I've received over the years. Now, I will tell anybody who's been to my house, the life-size poster of Aragorn is not mine. That's Marita's. Okay? So everybody who, you've seen that. I just wanted you to know. Then there was last year. Last year, we found out some friends of ours made these really cool swords. They're aluminum. You know, the wooden swords, you have to make the sounds yourself when you're fighting each other. 
But these aluminum swords, they clang. And so we had gotten one for Ethan and Ryan, and this was going to be really cool, and I was looking forward to just wailing on them with their swords. And lo and behold, Rita got an adult-sized version for me. And I've only hurt the kids once or twice. (laughs) They have really butchered me, though. But probably the two greatest gifts I ever received, both came on Father's Day. One of them actually sits in my office, and you can see it. It's just a, in fact, I should have brought it up here. It's just a cardboard box. It's round, and they've written messages all over it. And inside, it's just got, you know, basically just some trivial stuff. A little teddy bear, had a little Hershey's kiss, a little stick of chewing gum, a Band-Aid. But then there was a little note inside that said, these are all the reasons that we're, that, that we love you. The teddy bear reminds us that you like to give good bear hugs. The stick of gum reminds us how we like to stick together. The Little New Testament reminds us how you're spiritual leadership. And the, the Band-Aid reminds us that you, we can come to you and you'll fix our, our uh, bobos and those kind of things. Now, that sits in my office. And every once in a while I pull it down and read it. But the all-time greatest gift I got on a Father's Day not long after my dad died. And it's a scrapbook. And in the scrapbook, it had pictures of me and the kids and pictures of me with my dad when I was a kid and pictures of my grandfather. But one of the coolest things about it is that she found pictures of me doing things with my dad and then pictures of me doing those same things with the kids. So it's got a picture of me with my dad at the beach and then a picture of me with my kids at the, at the beach. It's got a picture of me laying on my dad as a baby or sleeping in a chair and a picture of me, and I, I, don't, I think it's Tessa. And so, you know, that's something that I pull out every once in a while. I mean, those are great gifts. Those are gifts that you that you take and, and make them part of your life. And you show them to everybody. And you share them with everybody because they're just awesome. And that's what we need to do with the gift that God has given us. Bring it into ourselves. Make it something that's extremely important to us. Something that we want to share with others. Something we want to show to others. Something that means something to us. Something that becomes an integral part of our lives. Sadly, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, says that there just aren't very many people that make God, that deal with God's gift this way. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Galatians 2.20 is an illustration of treating the gift of God in this way. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That's how we need to treat God's gift to us. Getting rid of ourselves and bringing His gift into us and living according to that gift. Always. Letting Jesus live through us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him won't perish, but have eternal life. What will you do with God's gift?